after speaking to 135 women, which for some people isn't a lot. To me, it's a heck of a lot. And as I said, my mantra is persevere, don't just survive. Have a purpose. And the purpose doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be smile. Look in that mirror in the morning. And many people have said that, but it's so true. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. Hi, everybody. This is author Wendy Walker, and I am co-hosting the podcast Sylvia and Me with the podcaster herself, Sylvia Beckerman. Wendy, thank you so much for doing this. Um, You have been uh, a guest several times, not only on the podcast, but when I was doing events at Life of Prey. And I've been told it's it's three years. It'll it's coming up on the three year anniversary of the podcast that I need to flip it around and sit in the hot seat and actually um, have the questions. You know, people have asked about me, so we'll see where we go with this. And I thank you for doing this. It should be fun. Oh, it is my pleasure to finally be able to interview you and celebrate you and all of the work that you have done um, promoting and empowering women. Uh, So you, just for those who don't know about Sylvia, because she's been in the other seat and not the hot seat, um, she is a, a, a founder and CEO. She is a women's empowerment advocate. She's an entrepreneur and she is a podcaster with her podcast, Sylvia and me, and we're going to hear towards the end what she's going to be up to next. But um, these are incredible accomplishments, um, and they all came a prey of former <laughs> life. So I want to start by digging into life before all of these wonderful accomplishments um, and your early journey that led you to them, um, starting with just your childhood, like where, where did all of, of this wisdom and knowledge and, and the ability to change and adapt come from? Well, I guess I I have to say I'm the oldest of five and back in, in the fifties, you know, families really didn't have large, large families like that. My mother was 20 when she had me. And by the time she was 28, she had five children. Um, in fact, my brother and sister are, are 11 months apart. Um, yeah, uh, somebody told her how not to get pregnant and that just didn't work. (laughs) Um, and so I guess, you know, as a child, I kept myself a lot and, um, being the oldest, of course, you know, back then it was a dollar for to get into the movie theater. And I was the one who, you know, babysat and watched and so on and so forth. But I think watching my mother raise five children and then at the age in her early 40s go to college, because when she was younger, she was not able to go to college and within eight years, get her PhD from Columbia. So I think that that had a lot to do with it. My father was, he owned a dry cleaning store. He worked six days a week. And Sundays was, you know, family days, whether we went to see my grandparents in Queens or we went to see my mother's mom in New Haven. So that's the kind of, um, you know, the, the, the a brief uh, childhood. I don't know whether that gave me, um, it gave me my love of movies and reading. Because uh, I was very much a very, very shy uh, child, teenager. So wow, that's hard to believe because everything you've done has been so outgoing. Um, and so your your mother, I mean, did do you did you learn from example um, from what she did, or did she give you specific advice that you've held on to throughout the years? It what, wasn't what, what was the source of her influence. Do you think? Well, I think her her 
her influence uh, was one of the main things. She didn't let anything stop her. If she didn't know how to do anything, something, she went ahead and learned it so she'd be perfect at it. And hearing stories when uh, she was in hospice from women who came up and told stories about how um, they would call her up and say, Anita, you know, I really want to go for my master's or I really want to do this. And she'd say, what's stopping you? And they'd go, oh, you know, I'm 60 or whatever. My mother would, she never curse, but she'd basically say, get off the phone now and go do it. And some of these women had huge accomplishments. So it was that. And it was also my, my father, um, who, as I said, worked very hard in, in a business he did not like, but he had a family to, to support. Um, and one of the things that I always came away from him was, uh, especially as a business person, one, you never flaunt anything in front of your employees. And the other, the customer's always right. <laughs> Fix it in the background. And I've used that example a lot of times when I've gone to places where they will start arguing with me when I say, you know, this came cold and it's supposed to be hot. Um, so, you know, it's it's basically, but I've always said my mother's a huge influence in seeing what a woman could do because she was told when she went to apply for the grad, uh, you know, the PhD program, that she was too old. She's never going to do it. She's a woman. And no, she didn't pass the first time, but the second time with flying colors and it was great. So I have that example there. And I think that's always stuck with me. And so where did you, where did you go from there? Where did you go to college? What was your first job? What were, what were your dreams and ambitions when you were, you know, coming of age? Well, actually, as I said, I've watched a lot of movies and one of my favorite movies, Anne Margaret uh, played a buyer in a clothing store. Um, and before that I wanted to be, I, I wanted to be a stewardess, but I was too short and too heavy. So that was never, cause you know, back in the day you had to be a certain height, a certain weight. So, so my second choice was, I saw the movie, you know, Anne Margaret, she was a buyer and, and so on and so forth. So I did get a job in the garment center years ago, working in gimbals. Um, and, uh, it didn't go as well as I thought it would. Um, I had to go up and, and basically go to HR and, and, uh, announced that my boss was a liar. And uh, yeah, he, he tried saying that I wasn't in, in a particular place monitoring the phones when I was supposed to. And it's it started where you had to stand up for yourself. And in yeah. business, I always was able to stand up for myself because I just didn't understand how not to. So yeah. I went to college in Israel. Um, I actually went to the Hebrew University. I spent about two and a half years there. And it was a great experience. Again, very, very introverted, very shy, was with a whole group of, of, of Americans, juniors and seniors. I was a freshman. And then I came back and started working. And, um, you know, it just kind of morphed from there. I've lived in Israel. I've lived in California. I've lived in Denver, you know, New York. Now I seem to be in Connecticut. And, and I don't think I'm moving. <laughs> What were you doing? So did you stay in retail? What was your next, what was your next act after, after well, college? Well, I, I was in, I was in, um, not re retail wholesale for quite some time. And from there I got married at, uh, I guess I was 32. I was right before I was 32. I got married. I was working in Queens for a telecommunications company before the internet and everything got pregnant and had my son two months early. So it was a question of, I didn't go on a maternity leave. I just went out and I stayed at home for as long as I could, which was about 12, 12, 16 months. And we were living in Queens at that time. But again, they don't give us, you're, you're a mom, you're a single mom. And, and they don't give us 
and a, a manual on how to raise children. So well, my, my support system was my young cousin who lived across the street from me in Queens. She was about 14 at the time, and I'd call her up and say, hey, Lou, I'm supposed to give him real food now. Come over. <laughs> you know, let's do this together. And, and you know, that went on for about, let's say, four years. We moved to Denver. I gave birth to my second son. And uh, then moved on from there. And so you were a working mom for many years. And that divorce, I mean, that marriage ended in divorce. After How old were your boys when, when that happened? When I decided we were living in Denver, the boys were four and 18 months. And Denver, back in the 80s, was a dead town. Everyone had left. And I knew that I could get a job. I, I had a job the minute I landed in New York. I knew I could get a job. And I needed to support the family. And so I took the two boys, a couple of suitcases, $200. And my mother said I could stay with them for two weeks or so. Wound up staying with them uh, for about eight months because they were selling the house. And I was going to, the business I wound up working at, uh, wound up moving to Connecticut. And then somehow I fell into insurance for over 20 some odd years. Wow. And so you you ended up in in Connecticut. And um, and then working in insurance, yes, and raising your your boys as a single mom, and and then you got remarried, and what? How did that come about, and what was that experience like? Well, there was a sixteen year window. Wow, between marriages. When I first left the boy's father back in eighty eight, it took me two years to find a state to get divorced on. <gasps> Oh, I was living gosh. in Connecticut. He had never lived in Connecticut. When I was living in New York at my parents, um, New York at that time was a state where you needed a reason. And none of the reasons would hold up. So I moved to Connecticut. And Connecticut had no jurisdiction over him. He was back in Denver. These are things that I wish I had known back then, but you don't know everything and you just move forward without trying to figure anything out. So how did, how long did it take you to get divorced? It's so two years. You know, I, was a, I was a divorce lawyer. So I'm, I'm, you know, this is all. I, I had to find a state where I could get divorced in. So I, I wound up going that. back to Colorado. <sighs> I hired an attorney that I knew had just graduated because there wasn't anything other than the boys. Um, I got full custody of the boys and moved back to, you know, flew back to Connecticut. It was back in the day where there were all these things about, oh, they're going to have to pay you child support. You'll have no problem. They'll take it out of their pay. They'll, it was all what I would call a bubblemizer. It, it just wasn't so. And I just knew it was my job to take care of them. And wow. we lived in Ridgefield for six years. We lived in Wilton before that. And then I finally bought a house in Stanford. But from the age of four and 18 months until they finally, let's say 2009, I think, um, when I was actually let up, they they both had actually moved out and the dog was gone too. Oh, wow. <sighs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I that just i can't imagine how you were able to do that without any financial support or um hands-on support from their father um i mean i'm a single mom but i had both of those things um in spades from you know my kid's dad so uh that that is that must have really changed your um, your mindset or your perspective, having grown up with sort of two parents who it sounds like really had each other's backs and worked together to raise um, five kids. And then there you were without any support at all. Did that change? Did that change how you viewed your role as a woman or, or the opportunities for women or life? Did it make you pessimistic? I think it would have, I think for a lot of people that would have really sort of beaten them down <laughs> and about life and about the, you know, just the system and 
the inability to get child support and all of that. I just, I just moved forward. I couldn't think about it. I didn't know any different. I thought, I thought it was just absurd. I learned that you had to be an advocate for yourself. My children, you know, they were fine in school. Um, but I realized that because they didn't go to school in torn clothes, they were well behaved, they could have slipped through the system. And you just really have to be an advocate. And I didn't I didn't sit back and say, woe is me, um, because I didn't know woe is me. This mm. was life. I had made the decision to leave because I knew it was the best thing for my family. And so I didn't have the time to sit back and go, wow, this is tough, or wow, what am I doing? And you know, there were a couple of things when I first moved to Connecticut. I had put an ad in for, um, oh man, there was, I forget the name right now. I, the name just slipped out of my mind of the two women, uh, Susan St. James and the woman from SNL, Kate Nally. I put an ad oh. in for Kate and Allie, single mom looking for same to share a house, an apartment or something. And I rented a house, a big house in Wilton, did finally find a roommate with a child on uh, Matt's age, and then decided you know, a year later just to move to Richfield. But I didn't, I always made sure there was sort of time for me. And that was usually after they went to bed. But my parents brought us up where Saturday was their night, even if they just went out for a cup of coffee or a bite to eat. Now, mind you, I didn't go out. I wasn't dating. But I, whatever there was, there was a little bit of time for me. And mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people have said to me, well, you know, you didn't have a husband that you had to take care of in addition to the kids. I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. I had the children. And I was both mom and dad to them as best as I could, because you can believe me, I had a nan, uh, a manny before they were um, a thing, because I thought a guy could play ball, take them out, you know, ice hockey and, and the rest of the stuff. So, you know, those were the things that I concentrated on. Yeah. And and did you did you not date out of I'm just I'm just so curious because. That's a long time not to date. And there are a lot of divorced women. And of course, we'll get to um, to uh, Pray Divorce and Life of Pray, which, you know, really focus focuses on women in these stages of change. And um, and did you make a, a did you make a conscious decision not to date or was there just no time? No, I, 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 I'm not saying I didn't date in between because remember it, at that time, you're too young to remember this, but at that time. The AOL chat rooms just came out. The online dating, you know, it, it really wasn't as explosive. So I'd go on and I'd, I'd meet a couple of people. I'll never forget. One came back for a cup of coffee. Little The, the boys were in the room, let go of the, the babysitter. And my oldest was going, is he still there? Did he leave yet? And <laughs> I said to me, you know, because he was looking out for me. And and the date says, is he always going to do that? I said, does that bother you? If it bothers you, ta-ta. And that was it. It was very difficult as a single divorced woman, mother living in New England, especially the bedroom communities, Wilton, yes. Ridgefield. You are a pariah. Um, yeah. Whether you want to use the word stigma or whatnot, no matter how time, many times they might say, oh, let's get together. First of all, if you said, okay, why don't we get a drink sometime? I was amazed because their response would be, I don't drink anymore. Uh, hey, not yeah. even a cup of coffee. But it took me eight years. It took me when I finally moved to Stanford to make a friend. I used to yeah. joke that I had more, I knew more people in the cemetery in New Haven <laughs> dead than I knew alive. And it was true. I think it's so interesting how, and that is still true today. I've been divorced for 14 years and um, definitely found that women, married women would see me for maybe a dinner during the week. Usually they would want to have lunch, but that would take away from, you know, my work time. 
and um, and never on the weekends. The weekends were for their husbands, and and that was it. And and never an invitation to a dinner party. Never an invitation to a mm-hmm. cocktail party. Occasionally, if it if it coincided with something with the school or it was you know sort of you know strange not to include me because of my children and and you know their friendships. Um, but but you you're not you're just you whether it's subconscious or not. I do think there is that feeling of is this somehow contagious? Well, will it will it will it infect my marriage? And and it's interesting because I I've actually had um, I had one one friend who came in in and out of my life who told me that it was very actually hard for her to be around me after my divorce because her marriage was unhappy and but she did not want to get divorced she wanted to stick with it um, until the kids were out of the house and that was many years away and it was hard for her to see me um, what she envisioned as starting this new independent life even though it was so hard to do that and um, it doesn't and there matter so it didn't matter for her it was it was something that that she sort of craved and envied and and i think she did not want that influence in her life and sort of pulling her in that direction and so you never know what the reasons are but yeah. but it's it's absolutely a thing. <laughs> like it is said, a thing. Really it's, think, it's, it's a yeah. perception, whether they're paranoid that their husbands are going to go after you, whether they're, you're living a life that they think is so great. Um, and a lot of them can't get divorced because they're house rich and cash poor. They're not going to be able yes. to live the way they're yeah. living. I remember they, sitting in, yeah. in a, in a pub in Richfield with a friend of mine and we're sitting there and we're listening to two women next to us talking about how abusive one of the husbands are, but you know, is, but she can't leave because where's yeah. she going to go? Um, yeah. and, and it was just, it was mind boggling. I saw that as a divorce lawyer, when I was practicing, women would come in for a consult and we would tell them what it would, what they were likely to get and what, what they would have to live on. And they would sometimes decide that it was not so bad and that they would find a way to manage it. So um, that absolutely happens, and um, especially when women have given up their um, their careers and their economic yes. independence, their financial independence, um, and now there's a lot of talk about coercive control and new legislation that's been passed in Connecticut, um, which is sort of taking a harder look at these situations where um, where men, you know, where women have given up all the financial control. And then they do try to leave because of abuse going on in the, in the home. And they are starved out to the point where the husbands get custody. The husbands can stay home and be full-time dads or hire a whole army of nannies. And during this long litigation, the mom has no access to money. The courts are backed up and slowed down and, and it can, and, and they, so they can't, they have nowhere to live that can actually, you know, house the number of children they have. And it's really, I mean, it it it, ha- it does happen. So I, let's transition. This is a great t- great place to transition to your first sort of non traditional uh, venture of um, opre divorce. So what what was the pivotal moment where you decided you wanted to um, be an entrepreneur and start this organization? And why did you decide to focus on this period of life after divorce? Well, I've always been an entrepreneur because all the companies I worked for were startups. But I did get married again. I got married right before my 60th birthday back in hmm, 2010. And that lasted for about four and a half years. I found out that he was uh, very manipulative, aside from other things. And I, it's funny because I wasn't going out to interview attorneys and I wound up speaking to seven of them. And the last one I found just got it. He understood. The others were telling me because it was such a short marriage, it was four and a half years, that I would be out because when we got married, I sold my house and I got rid of my house in Stanford and I gave everything to charity. You name it, it went. The whole house went to charity. The whole inside of the house went to charity. And during our marriage, I supported us, but uh, I found an attorney who got it. 
who didn't say to me, you'd be out in 45 days. He said, how long do you need? I said, I need at least a year. Where am I going? You know, um, I'm working at that point. I was working part time, a good job part time uh, with a business that was supposed to take off, but never really did. And when I left there, um, I found an apartment that I just loved. The whole idea of leaving sort of became a freedom for me this time because I didn't have the children. I mean, they were there, but they weren't going to live with me. And I wasn't telling my oldest that the couch was actually a sleeper sofa. Never told them. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I found, I, I went out and I didn't panic because I knew that Bruce had my back, my attorney. And I found the cutest little basement apartment. And I always used to say it was Jane Fonda, Barefoot in the Park meets Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> and I made it my own. Although I did insist in taking a bed from, from my ex's house, Joe's house, which he put up a fight for, which is hysterical. That's, that's a story for another day. But I went to, I went to have a glass of wine and cut a piece of cheese. And I realized that the only knife I had was the knife from my picnic basket. You know, wonderful wicker that you see in the movies and you're going to take on this great picnic. And I called up my friend and I said, Sandra, I've never registered, but we're going to go down to Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know how to do it, but we're going to register and I'm going to throw a little party for my divorce. It just felt freeing. It felt like I was independent for the first time, and I only had myself to account for. Yeah. It was ironic because my son and, and, and now daughter-in-law were registering for their wedding that was taking oh. place uh, that May. And he had done one thing that got me angry. For some people, it would have been devastating. I had an email address, and I know this sounds very petty, but this is this to me is the whole point. I had an email address that I'd had for since Opt Online ever became Opt Online, so yeah. twenty years or something. And when I moved in, I paid all the bills, but I never switched the account and added my name. So it turns out he owned my email address, oh. and he wouldn't do everything that was needed to release it. It didn't cost any money. It just had to click something. And that pissed me off. I had another email address because I, I didn't trust him. So I already had one. But that one was something that I'd had forever. Yeah. Ticked me off. I started thinking about all the things that when I was living in Connecticut and, and when I first moved and had the two young boys was going through the divorce, was a single mom for 18 years however long, well, I'm still a single mom. And what if somebody knew something about, there must be information that other people have. For me, it wasn't a big deal. I was angry, but for somebody else, it could be devastating. Yeah. It could have to do with their work. It have to do with their identity. We can't think that everything is just tiny. So Without even thinking, I went on on GoDaddy. Luckily, they didn't have after divorce because I realized a pre-divorce just sounded so much better. Yeah. I took French in, in elementary school for about six years, and my French teacher made me promise never to speak a word of French. Um, <laughs> but I got the name. I was the same way. Yeah, I got the name, got the domain. I was working with web people from my other job, called them up, asked them if they could get me a logo. I was in the process of starting another business called Next Chapters, helping women move on. Immediately flipped that to Life of Prey and held my first, I didn't even know what I was doing, but I held my first event back in June 19th of 2016. Yeah. And it was a launch party. Yep. And people came up and thanked me. So great. From there, I had events, as you know, because I had you at two or three of them. They were at different venues. They yeah. were about different things. If there was something that was really heavy, whether it be finance or law or narcissism, 
There was always somebody else in there who talked about dating and sex and so on. Wine and appetizers and just uh, gathering. Sometimes there were eight people. Sometimes there were 30 people. It all depended. And it was, you know, once a month for about three years. And I realized that it was helping me. And it was helping these women. I'd, I'd get emails and thank yous from them. Uh, never selling anything. And anyone who came, nothing was being sold because if they were good enough in talking, and some weren't professional professionals, they were experts on on whether it be dating, you and your books, whether it be narcissism, trauma, you know, dissociation. It was, the narcissism one was big. Yeah, that was- that particular one- Remember, I had Angie Atkinson, the queen bee of narcissism, yeah. and there were women there who did not want any any pictures, and no pictures were ever taken if people didn't yeah. want, because they were afraid that their spouse might find out, but yeah. they realized that there were other people in the same situation. Yeah, that's a huge topic, and I think um, there's so much control that goes on in, when there's a narcissist in the mix. That, and again, the, the it, it's this giving a, a, a voice and a, a place to speak with that voice to to women that I think was so important for the work that you did. What was the most surprising thing you learned while you were hosting these events and meeting so many women and? just diving into really these very substantive issues concerning marriage and divorce and and all of that. Was there anything that stands out in your mind? Well, the funny thing is, is that I did start as, as a prey divorce, but it morphed into life of prey about a year after because the women who were coming, some had never been married, some were in relationships, some were divorced, some were widowed. All the topics, really, a lot of them, they either knew someone going through or they, you know, because finance, as you talked about finance before, one of the topics was it's polite to ask. You should ask. The women need to ask. We're brought up in thinking that we have certain roles. We nurture we work if we need to. They used to call it pocket money back in the 40s and 50s that women were making. And as you said, the role usually is the male takes care of the finances. And as so many people put their head under the pillow and then all of a sudden get a surprise, whether it be divorce or, or, or spousal loss or they're living with a partner, whatever it is. So yeah. there was, to me, the surprise was the the mix of women and the need for these topics. And I learned a lot from it. And we had a good time doing it. And, and it was nice to see people who never opened their mouth before just to have a discussion across the room because it was never anything. It was never a lecture. I don't like lectures. It was always a conversation. And that's why I've been very specific. It's a conversation. Yeah. And it was, and and people would stay after and form small groups and talk and make friends. And it was, um, you know, really such an, um, an incredible opportunity. I think, as we were saying before, so hard for divorced women to, and, and widows as well to, to just single women, right, who are of a certain age, to find friends, especially in in communities like this one, where the majority of people are married, and um, and there's such a focus on um, on couples and being coupled. Um, so I think just that as well, as well as the information and the empowerment, but just to to just to, just to find friendship, yes, to exactly, find, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it. I mean, it was. It's a, a an amazing thing. So, how did you? Um, how did you sort of transition into doing a podcast? And where is Life Up Pray now? Are you still? Is it? I know COVID probably put a damper on any events, but is that? Is there anything? Anything coming out of that? Anything? Well, is that? Will there be something evolving from that in the future? Well, the funny thing is, is COVID actually opened up the podcast for me because 
people weren't on travel schedules and so on. So I wound up talking to women from all over the world, whether it be England, Yugoslavia, Lithuania. I mean, I, I would forget to ask the time zone that they were in. Uh, and it and it allowed me to talk to women who I never would have been able to talk to and have a discussion with. I mean, um, I had Melissa Burton and Anita Diamant on period, end of story, and period poverty. I talked to, the first one was Candace Leitner, the uh, founder of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I talked to women who had uh, gone through trauma and came out differently in certain things. Women who had a passion and didn't realize it or were doing something and had no idea that they were touching so many people. People would say to me, well, do you have questions that you're going to can I prep? And I'd go, I don't. Because yeah. I never know where the conversation's going to go. I speak to somebody with a PhD, I'm thinking to myself, how am, how am I going to do this? And we would just talk. I spoke to someone who is a doctor and her and and in uh, research, and her thing is you know uh, STEM and technology. And and I never thought I'd be able to. What am I going to talk about? But we talked about women in that career and how difficult and and how you just have to push forward. And that's. That's one of my my things is it's not just survival, it's perseverance. Surviving to me, people have said, oh, you're a survivor. What else was I supposed to do? That to me is you wake up in the morning and you breathe. But to <laughs> right. persevere, yeah, you have some goal, even if it's just to get up and look at yourself and say, I'm okay. It took me over 40 years to find my voice. And each decade later, just I I was able to do a little bit more. It wasn't until my 50s that I actually went someplace on my own. I never even went to, to a coffee shop and had coffee on my own. I never went any I, I told you I was shy. I mean, this has has been learned because I'm not afraid anymore. And it took me years. How did that come about to lose that fear? And were you even aware that you were afraid? You describe yourself as being shy, but did you see that shyness emanating sort of from, you know, fear or, or did you just see it as an innate personality trait? And then how did you, how were you able to sort of overcome it? I think that, as I said, I'd had a 16 year relationship on and off relationship between the two marriages a little bit longer. I'd been beaten down so much. I've um, been told, ah, oh, one day I was in a market that's no longer there in, in Norwalk, Connecticut. And um, I was buying some steak and I, I'm not a big cook. And I told the guy how my kids like it, black and Philly something or other, whatever it was. And he knew exactly and told me what to do. And the next week I walked in and he was busy and, and somebody else was waiting on me. And he said to his coworker, be nice to her. She smiles all the time. And that made such a difference in my outlook. It, mm. it, it just did. And from there, it just took, you know, it took time. My 60s, even though I had a divorce in the middle of that, you know, each it's been it's been great. It's it's really it's you wake up and it's today. I can't look at the future because I don't know what's going to happen. I know what I'd like to do, um, but I'm not afraid of. I I will not say, oh, you know, the sixties are the new forties, the seventies are the <laughs> new whatever. I, I don't believe in that nonsense. I really don't. I like where I am now. Yeah. Uh, about a year ago, I had a nice party for my 70th. It brought my my siblings together and some friends because it was coming out of lockdown and the pandemic. People have to, especially as women, there's so much we cannot lose the fact that we need to keep using our voice, that we matter, that we can be strong. 
and we are stronger together. And yes, there are women who are not nice to other women, and but get rid of those. <laughs> I mean, yeah. seriously. The podcast really gave that was was really this opportunity to sort of have a deep dive with women who had strong voices and had something to say and to share. What was so how how the podcast was went up for three years. Is that um this October it started October 29th, 2019 was the first one. Okay. So, so. wow, that's so ex- almost exactly three years. And what in that time, I'm not going to ask you what, who your favorite guest was because, you know, of course that would be me. No, that would be you. <laughs> no, but who I'm very curious who, um, which guest surprised you the most? I'm going to have to go with my last one only because of her courage and selflessness. Tova Friedman, who will be coming out. As we're talking, we're talking the middle of October. She, I will, oh, this is October 20th or something or other. Who knows? Um, She is one of the youngest survivors of Auschwitz. And her story is amazing. So what surprised me there was the fact that this is a woman who not only tells the story, but is also wants us not only to remember, but to notice signs and also see the strength that people don't realize that's inside. Mm. So to me, that is one of the most powerful. One of the most surprising ones was a woman who owns Candy Boots, Candy Boots, C-A-N-T-Y, Nikki Edmondson, who really, you know, I'd seen something over a year ago about these uh, cowboy boots, the short boots that she was making for women. And, you know, we started talking and she really didn't realize what she was doing. And what she was doing was people would send her a boot that fit, their own boot, and then send her scraps of fabric or something from, from memories from maybe their grandparents or their parents or somebody oh. they knew and put it on. And she was making history, wearable history for these people wow. getting a story together. So that kind of surprised me. And as you said, you're my favorite. <laughs> but, you know, I, I ran the gamut. Whether yeah. we talked about period poverty, race relations, intermar- uh, interracial marriage, sex, activism, being active at any age. I've just f- have found it. Everyone uses the word journey, chapter, lives. <laughs> yes. If I have any more journeys or chapters, <laughs> but I intend to have many, many more. Let's talk about that. What's coming up? What 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 is what's on the horizon for you? And where are you at in your life now? Other than being obviously very knowledgeable and wise and and optimistic, but but how how do you see you know your future and 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 what things are on your bucket list for yourself? Well, my bucket list for myself right now is to spend as much time with my grandson as possible. I have an 11-month-old grandson, Bryson Gray Paul, of course, three first names. <laughs> and really, I've waited a long time to have a, grandson, a grandchild. I'm going to really embrace that. And as far as what else I'm going to do, everyone writes a book. Not everyone writes thrillers the way you do, but I do need to tell the stories of these women who allowed their voices to be heard. And some of them are not more amazing than others, but different. Mm -hmm. And I think it really needs to be out there. It's, It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. I won't say I'll never do another podcast. I have a bad habit of going, oh my, this is a great story. (laughs) And they are, and they're relevant because we're relevant and we need to keep that. So I intend to keep my voice going because it's really hard to keep me quiet. (laughs) <laughs> and and make sure that that especially young people, young people and people 
as as you know we get older not old we don't have to get old but we do get older yeah and embrace it don't yeah. look for anything else embrace it have fun with it yeah and just keep using our voices especially now especially with what's going on especially with what's going on exactly it's it's i was going to ask you about that doing this podcast about empowering women at a time when you know, one might argue that we have seen some major setbacks um, for women's um, rights and um, independence and freedom. Um, it's been obviously very challenging and a reminder, I think, that um, that we can't take anything for granted. And I'm, I'm so it's so interesting because people I'm in my 50s and people sometimes will ask a question during an interview. Um, you know, if there's anything I would tell my younger self or anything that I know now that I wish I'd known when I was younger. And it's such a difficult um, question because I don't, I don't know that, that the things we have um, attained in terms of knowledge and experience can be um, absorbed or understood without having the experiences that led to them, if that makes sense. And yet I feel as though there is such value in mentoring and in giving messages to women. So what advice would you give to younger women who have yet to sort of go through these these life-changing journeys, mini journeys throughout the decades um, to come to their own realizations? What What would you tell them and what would you want them to know? I would tell them to look in the mirror and have confidence in themselves that they matter. There's a world that's open. Open your eyes, open your ears. And if you have something to say, say it. Don't be afraid because fear will stop us from moving forward. Confidence and self-esteem, which for so many, especially in, in certain areas, is so difficult. I want to educate young women in the fact that the rights that we have now as women weren't always there. And now they're seeing this with the Dobbs decision, but there are other things that are up there also. Yes. And you can't blame young women for not understanding because they grew up with it. Yes. I mean, women in their 30s, women in their 40s, 50 years ago, is it sounds like a long time, but for women in their in their thirties, it was only fifteen years before they were born. Yeah, no, that's right. Put it that and, way; it's a short period of time. Women weren't always able to to vote. Women weren't able to get a credit card on their own. Women couldn't buy a house. I remember all the challenges I had in in renting. I had to have a guy vouch for me. I I I always was turned down at the beginning and then they'd come running back because that wonderful family didn't have the credit, didn't have the this, didn't have the that, and they'd beg me to come back. So to young women out there, just open your ears, have confidence, and keep moving forward. Use your voice. Find, when I say use your voice, I'm afraid of some of the people that are out there. Um <laughs> It's, it's it's a difficult thing these days. <laughs> Some of you use your voice. The rest of you, <laughs> <laughs> but we we can't go backwards. Yeah, we yeah. cannot go backwards. Uh, you know, n- no matter what you think, we need we need to take charge of our own lives, and we can do it. We really yeah, can. Yeah, I think that's um, that's such a great message, and I think that. Um, it's something that I wish someone had said to me when I was younger and not just in a sort of general way, but with specific knowledge and with specific information. And that's why I think the podcast that you've been hosting all these years and Life Up Pray and all of those are um, are really specific, concrete ways of um, of showing how to use a voice and, and giving examples of, of you know, here is a woman who used her voice to be a doctor. Here is one who's a lawyer. Here is one who is an advocate. And 
or here's one who's just, you know, raised her children and now speaks about that. And there's, I think it's really such an important message, but also the work you've done to stand behind it and show what that actually looks like in practice has been really important and meaningful. And I thank you for doing it on behalf of all of us who are find ourselves going through change. So I don't know, is there, is there anything you want to add before we wrap up? Any any, any like mantras or anything, <laughs> any other things you're looking forward to, things we should be watching out for other than spending time with your grandson? Is there anything we should, we should be, know that's coming and this wonderful book that hopefully will, will be on the horizon? Well, the book is going to be on the horizon because I will have time. The podcast, the good thing about a podcast is, is it lives forever. Mm-hmm. And after speaking to 135 women, which for some people isn't a lot. To me, it's a heck of a lot. And as I said, my mantra is persevere, don't just survive. Have a purpose. And the purpose doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be smile, look in that mirror in the morning. And many people have said that, but it's so true. I want to really take this opportunity also to thank not only the women who have been guests, but all the women who have listened. And I know I love getting the emails and texts from so many women thanking me. And I didn't go out there to specifically do anything, but give a voice to some people. So that's my mantra. Everyone stay safe, stay, please stay healthy and use your voice, have the confidence that it really really matters. Wendy, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I mean, you've given a voice to women in in, in your books. So that's why we get along so well. Thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, it's been my pleasure and all the best to you in the years to come. Thanks. What a journey the last three years have been. Again, I want to thank all of the extraordinary women from all over who have lent their voices to me over the past three years and allowed their voices to be heard. It has been such an honor and a great pleasure. Every episode is relevant today and podcasts stick around. So remember, you can listen to any episode, any of these women, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You know, Sylvia and me. I may be stopping new episodes for now and starting a new journey, a new chapter, but let's keep the conversation going. Stay safe, stay healthy, and you never know. See you soon. Bye. This has been a Life of Prey production.